0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now. Okay. I started recording, yeah, because this is good. Yeah, picky from Kaniki's like a hallmark card. You care enough to send the very best.
0: <laughs> Jeez, it's good times with you and I. Isn't, Isn't it?
1: it? Hey oh. potatoes. potatoes! Hey potatoes! Hey potatoes! Hey, hey got potatoes! Hey potatoes! I've got one. Hello
0: what? potatoes, my old friend. <laughs> we were at the pub last night, and do you remember Mark saying, "Hello, my friend, old darkness"? <laughs> no, you went, "Hello, dark, my old lonely." <laughs> Oh,
1: friend, my old darkness.
0: We had a good day yesterday. I haven't been able to drink in a really long time, and
2: I, I had it. a. I was
0: excited. I had, I had a quick wine with our lunch um, at the pub because we found out yesterday we we're going into a third lockdown. So, so we kind of went. Let's go and have some lunch. Let's go to the pub, and I, of course, just think I'm just going to have something to eat. And some water, because that's all I've been able to do. Um, Had a quick wine and went, oh, this isn't doing what it normally does, which is tastes like vinegar (laughs) for me. So
1: um, had a few more. We had such a lovely lunch. Do you know where I think the the tipping point for you was? When you ordered a espresso martini. Yeah, maybe.
0: Maybe. You know know what I think think the tipping point was? I think it was the margarita at the next pub and all that fried food.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of fried food.
0: It was called a chatter platter and, boy, did we love it. I mean, I've never seen you. You became a food blogger all of a sudden with that (laughs) chatter platter and then you gave it, I mean, COVID, but, you know, we gave it to a table next to us. We hadn't touched the food. That no. we gave, although we, I did it pick it uneven. up with my hands. Yeah, well, we, we won't tell people that you did that, though. Yeah, okay. Sh- and um, they oh, were okay. so
1: appreciative, mm, weren't they? It's popcorn, chicken, sausage roll—you with ate, all the sauces. You ate that popcorn, chicken,
0: and you went, "Oh my god, this chicken is it's- amazing! It's KFC good." <laughs>
1: Better ah. than KFC. It was it was like it was the best popcorn chicken I think I've ever tasted. Wow. I know that's a big call, but it oh, was it's quite, huge it was, call. It was moist and it was <laughs> spicy and it was crunchy and I what I liked. What?
0: I liked the panko prawns.
1: Oh, it was good food, actually. Because we're going to go back there,
0: and we also found a pub this week that we had a, a steak at earlier in the week called the George at South Melbourne. And bloody, that was an, an incredible steak. Remember, I sat down immediately. No, you, we sat down, and you immediately tipped over your wine, your red wine. Yeah. And we're like, well,
1: is this how
0: life is going to be now? Yeah.
1: Yeah. We had a very. Melancholy conversation that day too. Remember? Oh,
0: we certainly did. But we need those in life, didn't? Don't we? It was a good conversation.
1: We had had one of those. What's the point of it all? Yeah. Why are we here?
0: Yeah. And then we figured it out, and we (laughs) so solved the world's problems.
1: Well, we figured out that you can't ever figure it figure it out. You can't. You just got to go with the flow. Let it flow.
0: Let it flow, let it flow, let it flow. That's uh oh, what was her name? Who was the woman that Tony Braxton? God, she was a huge hit, wasn't she? Oh, you know I watched. That's it? I watched Say you Love Me again. Sounds frightening.
1: <laughs> that's how she sings. She has the deepest voice.
0: I know, but Undo this. Tears that you go
1: when you walked up the door and walked out of my life.
0: Jeez, no wonder she was a big hit. Um, I just watched the Lifetime made-for-TV movie on her. Oh, that would have been brilliant! Look, it was very it played attractive. it, um, and absolutely no one. Someone, so an actress who needed a job anytime.
1: Any time a sentence has lifetime movie. Yeah, made for TV. Made for TV. You, you know,
0: know it's going to be. be good.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I found out a lot about her. You know, she was went bankrupt twice because of the record company that made her sign um a contract early on that she could not get out of and she could not recoup all the money that she owed them. And she was RCA. the number one. She was the number one selling artist in the world for a really long time. And then I was looking into the whole TLC thing and there's a great um, documentary called The um, Revolution of Hip Hop, which was on NITV um, that I was watching. And just the amount of um, black artists that were put through this who were absolutely bankrupt because they had – been discovered, signed and completely um, left out to
1: dry. Yeah, well, a lot of people don't don't realise that record companies are like banks. All you're doing is asking for a loan and you spend most of your career trying to pay it back. Yeah, and if you don't
0: have the intellectual rights to your property, your music, which most of artists don't because of their greenness of getting into the record industry. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's funny because, you know, that revolution of hip-hop documentary talks about how, um, you know, YouTube changed things, TikTok is now changing things and, you know, mm. people are owning their intellectual property. and yeah. um, But it also means they're not getting mentored the way they once yes. were with a record company. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's they a need to you find can see both the sides of it.
1: Of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Totes yeah. my goats. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, and I watched, I'm going to tell you what I watched this week.
1: Yeah. What did you watch like, this week?
0: watched a, Fox t- a new Foxtel show, an Australian show called The End. Which is Francis Ooh. O'Connor, Brendan Cowell, Noni Hazelhurst, Roy Billing, John Waters. Oh, all the greats! A lot of Australians in it, and a it's lot of Australians. Really, thryans. really good. It was a great. The theme, the theme that ran throughout the whole show was about assisted um, dying, and yes. it was
1: very, very good. Brooke Satchwell, Luke Arnold. Yeah. Yeah, I got to watch it. You've you've yeah, you've told me about this one a couple of times now. Um you said yesterday I think we were at the pub. Oh, I watched the end and I was like the of the end of what? Of what? And you're like just the end. I'm like, of what? The show the end. Oh, okay. Oh, what Meryl, What? The what? the end? Whose end? What end? The top end? What? Just the end. Your end. Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, which we know you probably are, let's face it, um, can you do us a favour and subscribe? Mm. Review us? Mm. What else, Evie? Give us five stars. Oh, five stars, please. Thank you. Follow us on the Instagrams as well because um, when we remember, we do put updates there.
0: We do. Chickstreet as underscore well. podcast.
1: That's it. And um, if you want to email us, you can. Mychickstreet at gmail.com. The end.
0: Um, So have we got anyone with a Chick in the Now song or are you going to be doing the Chick in the Now song this week, Annette?
1: You know what? I'll do it this week. Oh,
0: good on you. I'll do it this week.
1: Give it a red hot. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Chick in the Now. It's a cheek in the nose. Thanks.
0: Yeah, that was really, really good. good. I thought it was going to end with. <laughs> it
1: didn't, and I ended. I was it actually doing it. Yeah, very I was well. actually. That was modeled off. No. Oh, hang on. I was. Yeah, I was doing Nussund. This, 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 I was doing Oh, how yeah. does that normally go? I don't know. I've lost the tune now. I've lost it. <laughs> who is who is your chicken? The now, 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 chicken the now. Who is oh, it? Chicken the now. Oh, sorry, I
0: went back to now, do yeah. that. Chicken the now. Yeah, it gets I've in my head. Oh, anyway, you know. um, this week I'd like to make a uh, mention of a woman who. Is named Ashley Bennett, and on in the okay. Instagram, haven't heard of her. She, mm. Okay, that's good. She is a body image therapist. So she mm-hmm. um, is from Melbourne, and she's an art therapist who believes that developing a healing relationship with your body involves mental, emotional, and physical, social, and spiritual elements of life. Her Instagram profile is inspirational, I think and it offers incredible support um really great tools but she's got um a degree in therapy um in art therapy which is i find fascinating you can also actually book her um to, as a counselor and your first one is online and it's free so i've booked in for about i think it's about a week and a half away so we i will oh, wow. be going through it with you guys which I think is fantastic. Awesome. Um I really I, I found her um through some of the stuff like uh, this week, you know, I had um a post or more, more of a stories about, you know, um being weight shamed by doctors, medical pr- practitioners, professionals, things like that. Um yeah. and through that I've had a lot of response so people were sending me really amazing different profiles and resources and this one was actually one of them that really stuck out to me um so I highly recommend following her she's very supportive and she's um her tools are great like she really has what's her name again body image underscore therapist her name's Ashley
1: Bennett and Does she do the art therapy, like is that separate to the body image therapy or does she incorporate art therapy into that?
0: Well, she's, yeah, no, she does workshops, clay body image workshops. So you do your body in clay. Um, She does a body image school. She does meditations. She has a YouTube channel and she's also writing a book, which is about to be You Can Pre-Order Now. So she's a busy gal. And she has great, um, oh, like the highlights, highlights. So she keeps everything. You can research, you know, go back to and find everything, which is what, you know, I I find the best when I'm following um, people like that because it's it's the kind of things that you need to go and re-look at when you're in a certain state of mind. And I find that Ashley Bennett has got a great – um, profile for exactly that kind of thing. So to be continued with her because I have got that initial consultation, and after that she's got an eight week waiting list to then become one of her clients. So
1: she can't oh, well, be bad. Looking forward to seeing the uh, see what happens there. So um, round of applause. Okay, so this week we start
0: with our very first guest. Now, for me personally, um, this guest is someone that's close to my heart because, and I think is the best person to have as our first guest for our podcast, Chick Street, because to me, and she would probably disagree with me, I think she is the matriarch of feminism. (sighs) And she's also helped me lead my hand in becoming a really proud feminist that I am today, I already am a feminist, but following her and the research that she does has helped me understand exactly why I believe in the things that I do. She works with facts. She has a way of explaining things and helping one understand the patriarch and all its effects on society as a whole. She's a journalist and author. Her two books, Fight Like a Girl and Boys Will Be Boys are, in my view, mandatory reading. Her podcast, Big Sister Hotline, which I've proudly been a guest on, have featured great women like Alyssa Ho and Kate from 30 Something Single, both women that we've featured on our podcast during the Chicks in the Now segment. Her Instagram profile is one of the most informative, hardworking feminist resources that you will find. I'd like to say she's also become a lovely friend and I couldn't have asked for a better first guest. Please welcome Clementine Ford.
2: Oh, Evie, you're making me blush.
0: Good. (laughs) That
2: was very
1: good, Evie. That was very welcome, Clementine. And I echo those sentiments as well.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It is a thrill and a delight. I love history. I love chicks. Why not put (laughs) the two of them together?
0: Oh, you're so welcome. And the one thing that we had you as our very first Chick in the Now as well on, I think it was our second or third episode where we decided to start doing Chicks in the Now. And I remember saying during that um, episode about you, Clem, was that a lot of people think you're a hard line, hard ass feminist, and you are, but there is such a lovely nurturing side to you that I believe is what makes a perfect woman. Someone who's really strong and stands up for what they believe in with facts, but also someone that's so nurturing, supportive. When I watch your um, stories and when I read your posts, you have this amazing ability to make us women feel so heard, And that's at the end of the day to me, what, what we just all we want it's the same with racism people of color they just want to be hurt mm. and there's a, a beautiful way like when you often name and shame someone I love how you always say the to the about the victim who's been you know somehow something's happened to them go and give her some love mm. so I'd like to thank you for doing something like that because it really does make a difference I think in all women's lives
2: Thanks, Evie. It's funny that um, it really means a lot to me that you say that. And it's interesting how I think it's a function of patriarchy and it's deliberately designed this way that the assumption that if you're a woman who stands up for yourself and for other women and if you are uncompromising in terms of your own right to exist and what you will and won't tolerate from other people, you know, mainly in my line of work, men, cis men, I should say, uh, that somehow, yeah, you have to be hardline. And I am hardline in lots of ways, but that, you know, that way of being as a woman is completely anathema to the idea of also being a nurturer. And that speaks exactly to how patriarchy has constructed womanhood within it, that nurturers must always absorb. We must always be stoic martyrs, sacrificing for the good of everyone else. Because of course, if you train women to do that, then it means they'll never stand up against you. I think obviously that not only can women be both of those things, but that actually when I think of the maternal spirit, when I think of the maternal energy, it's very much that, you know, it's it's women fighting to protect their families. It's so interesting to me that not just looking at history, but also looking at pop culture. It's so interesting that so many of, you know, so many stories that we're told involve, particularly with pop culture, involve men rescuing women and children, really driving home that hero narrative. When actually in day-to-day life, it's women who hold their communities together. It's women who sacrifice for their families. It's women who are largely left behind in refugee camps taking care of children it's it's astonishing to me that somehow the narrative has been wrestled from us not only in terms of history but even in terms of the fiction that we tell
0: yeah could yeah. not agree more could yeah you're preaching to the stuff. So. yeah
1: <laughs> you are and i've got to say my experience with you clementine is through evie actually getting me onto to your stuff and and For me, I guess I have always questioned whether I was a feminist because I think in the background I've still got that, I don't know, just that thing about what the, you know, perception of what people think that is and and seeing your stories and seeing your... um, posts really has like, I mean, ask Evie, I learned so much from you every day and I'm not ashamed to say that I, some things I'm like, oh, we had a conversation about this last night um, and, it, it, you know, with Evie and I was, you know, I'm kind of really curious about um, how I can change my thoughts and feelings around feminism and what that means because I, I have a really hard time. Not wanting to be labelled that because it has a negative thing in my head.
0: Yeah, because you you've know, because I've been told that. that it's
1: a negative thing. Yeah, and yeah. I kind of go, "Am I? A fe- oh, I'm a feminist? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, not I believe to be all
0: that ashamed of. Yes.
1: Can I? Uh, perhaps
2: I'm wrong here, but picking up on some of the things that you say. And and listen, when I was before I became overtly feminist. I mean, we've all, most of us are feminist in some degree because we believe in our own humanity and we want to be treated with dignity. We're just conditioned from such a young age to also feel afraid of saying that because of what people, and we say people, but what we mean is Cis men, yeah. what we think cis men will think of us. No one's afraid of calling themselves a feminist because they think other women won't like them. They're afraid of calling themselves a feminist because they think that cis men will judge them and such will, a true point. Yep, and will deem them somehow unworthy. And this is this is the mm. the overarching pressure that most women grow up with, or all women grow up with this to some degree. It's just that some some women grow up with it to even stronger degrees than others but that the concept of the male gaze that we're all living in this panopticon where pa- the patriarchy is watching us and judging whether or not we are suiting its um are living up to its guidelines for us yeah. yeah so before i became an overt feminist i said the same thing so i wouldn't call myself a feminist because you know i believe in women's rights but i wouldn't call myself a feminist because i was afraid that boys wouldn't like me particularly as we get older for a lot of us we realize that the treasures that have been promised us by playing the game and making men know that we're on their side are actually very, very limited and that the treasures we can provide ourselves are so much more bountiful. One of the things that the patriarchy does very well in terms of maintaining itself is it teaches men to bond with each other, to have each other's backs, to be a brotherhood of men, to support each other above all else and to never feel afraid or ashamed of seeking solace and comfort in the company of other men. What it does conversely with women is teaches us to be afraid of being too solid with each other, of yes. always aspiring to male approval, of always aspiring to, to being picked by men because women together is a force That's that, that actually has a lot of power. And that's it's why so it's true. so important to powerful structures to keep us separated from each other.
0: Yeah.
1: So true. said. So true. Vincent, so so true. Good. My goodness. We've got a, just a couple of questions we want to ask you just to kind of, you know, get a sense of where things are at for you at the moment. Um, we want to know what's the last podcast you listened to? I've been listening to.
2: I'm still going through it because it's a it's a multi part podcast. But I've been listening to the most incredible podcast called Bird's Eye View, and it's mm. made with women incarcerated in the north of Australia. So, oh, wow. it's inside that the Darwin be... Correctional Centre, inside oh. Sector Four. So the Darwin Correctional Centre also. Um, it's a prison also that has men in it, so the women in sector four are even more isolated and marginalised than other women who are incarcerated. And the other thing as well that I'm, you know, I've been really getting, um, really learning a lot lately about prison abolition and the you know trying to distinguish myself as against a carceral idea of feminism we have a crisis of mass incarceration in us in australia there are more people incarcerated in australia than have ever been incarcerated before and the fastest growing group of people being imprisoned are women and largely aboriginal women so and the other thing as well that people may not realize is that we associate the prison industrial complex and prison for profit as being a very American thing, but we have prisons for profit here in Australia. Right. And um, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist because I know that 5G people talk about big tech, but yeah. tech companies are actually getting heavily involved in the prison for prof- profit system, you know, in the creation of tech that assists in incarceration. Yeah. Right. So these are all things that you know, a deeply worrying, anyway. But also, the impact on women of incarceration and mass incarceration is um, really devastating. So, bird's eye view goes into the Darwin Correctional Centre. It speaks. It's it was uh, done over two years. It speaks with over seventy women who were imprisoned and wow. really tells their stories. And it, they're the ones who are who are driving it as well. So, it's really incredible. I really recommend people to listen to it. Especially oh, yeah. if they're interested in history. I oh, would we will. love that. I'm that, actually yeah, obsessed Annie. with prisons. Yeah. I'm obsessed yeah.
1: with prisons. I'm obsessed with just, you know, yeah, the structure of prisons, is yeah. the, prison, the prison system working. I love, uh, yeah, love all that stuff. So that sounds amazing. God, that's right up your, uh, oh. your alley. Right up your bum it is, that I'm going to be, oh, oh, yeah, I reckon I'm, I'll probably be listening to that uh, this to the end. Or over the yeah. next five days because, yeah. yeah, not doing much else. Um, what was the last song you listened to? The last
2: song I listened to was Moju's latest single. It's called Put It On Hold. It's I've listened to it on repeat all morning because it's so good. Um, okay. Just a really good one for people to queue
1: up on, uh, you know, a crazy morning. Yeah. Nice. Okay, good. Love good it. To know. Yep. Um, what was the last thing that gave you joy?
2: Um, I'm feeling pretty joyful right now talking to you ladies, but <laughs> I, oh, look, it's a cliche, but. I, my biggest source of joy comes from my son, just seeing he's four. So he's at this beautiful age where he's just really beginning to kind of unfurl into the world and just seeing him, seeing the world through his eyes is a, a great leveler. There's an inquisitiveness
0: yeah, isn't there at that age. It's so new and in innocent and it is, just, I used to be a nanny and that is an, a great age of seeing the world through those eyes of a child for the things for the first time. It's incredible. Do you know that I I know that we've
2: got to move on, but I just wanted to say quickly that one of the things that I found really powerful about it is that, you know, I'm writing this book at the moment, um, a a book of personal essays about lots of different kinds of love. And one of the chapters is about him and it's thinking, sitting there and thinking about how, uh, you know, growing up, you felt really, you might have felt as I did, really unlovable, really uh, ill-equipped to kind of navigate romance, or suspicious of people who offered you love for whatever reason, um, found it very difficult to imagine that people could want to love you in deep ways. Uh, all the sorts of trauma that lots of people are familiar with, and it's been really interesting and quite healing in lots of respects to see that this is a child who looks at me and loves me unconditionally, and. And it's the first love that I've experienced that I don't feel suspicious of. And I, and I feel scared of it sometimes because obviously it's the biggest love I've ever felt. And if anything happened to it, then I'd be destroyed. Mm. But it's, it's really interesting to see yourself through the eyes of, you know, someone who you also love unconditionally. Maybe it's the first time I've ever experienced unconditional love mm. in both ways,
1: you know, mm-hmm. mm. that's interesting. That's- That's beautiful. I mean, both Evie and I don't have children um, and we have dogs. Um, (laughs) But That's an an unconditional love for sure. Absolutely. There's a great TikTok that I've seen. I've seen it
0: on repeat. People use the audio all the time um, on their dogs that says, dogs are the only species in the world that love you more than they love themselves. Mm. And that, I mean, you just feel that when you, when you look Mm. at a dog looking at you. So yeah, it is. And I've always um, been really interested in that mother child love. I've never had that myself, Mm. Um, but I have had it on the opposite. So I was so in love with my mother, Mm. like truly deeply in love with my mother to the point where I used to try to kiss her, Romantically, as a child, and she had to mm. put the brakes on and explain to me that we don't kiss like that. Mm. But that's how, and I still, to the day she died, you know, the last thing, one of the last things I ever said to her was, "You know, you were the love of my life. Like I was so in love with you." There was the time when my when my mum used to make sandwiches for me at school. This is one of the last things I ever told her. Um, and she used to always make ham, cheese and tomato sandwiches and the tomato would make the sandwiches go to mush and everyone would tease me about how gross these, you know, doughy looking sandwiches is. But I ate them because she had touched them.
2: Oh, my oh. God. <laughs> and I was, It's so beautiful. I
0: yeah, I made sure I let her know <laughs> that. And, yeah, so it was, yeah, it, there is an unconditional bond between mm. mother and child that is quite incredible. So I think we've all experienced it because we've had, I don't.
2: I don't want to suggest, though, that that's just my personal experience. I think that that is equally possible people with their pets i've never had a pet so i don't Uh, i don't know that experience of love one of the things i've been really trying to stress not just in writing this book but also when i talk about my son is that i don't agree with people who say things like oh you never know love until you have a child i just think that that's ridiculous Mm. there's so many different forms of love that you you may or may not get the opportunity to experience and neither is better than the other they're just
0: different yeah i agree
1: 100%. 100%. absolutely
0: because that that those relationships can actually
1: be not good definitely for a lot of people change gears a bit so what was the last thing that was a kill joy
2: oh the obvious answer to that is the new lockdown um yeah. but I mean look it's necessary I think I have faith in us as a community I think that we can get it done I and I also think when you know when we complain about lockdowns here um you know, I have quite a few people on my Instagram page who live in America or who live in the UK and also friends, obviously, who live there. Mm-hmm. And they, their response is consistently always the same. I wish that we had a government that had taken this seriously. So, yeah. yes, it's a killjoy. It's a pain. It's upsetting to all of us. But, God, it would be much worse to be on the other side.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And his brother is in London and we were just talking last night about Mm. how they're in lockdown, but, you know, he can go and look at houses and go and do so many Mm. things that it's like, well, are you in lockdown or not? Yeah. No wonder that you're a bloody mess. Like it's amazing Mm. how, Mm. I mean, you look at a country like America and it's just almost like they fight so hard for this freedom that there's no way they'd ever Mm. be able to lock them down.
1: Mm yeah so we I
0: think we are quite lucky
1: yeah I agree so we are so excited to hear all about your Mm chickstree we know you've got a really good story so tell us all about your chickstree
2: okay well I will preface this by saying that this is family history that has been handed down uh over years my mother is also dead now so I can't check some of the finer details with her. So, so I, th- I think I'm telling the accurate story, but there may be um, one or two details that, you know, eagle eyed historians would be able yeah. to say, well, that was, that took place in the wrong location. Oh, we uh, get that
1: all the time. Don't yeah. worry.
2: We? <laughs> we're Like we're not historians.
1: Yeah. We're just telling uh, a
2: story. Yeah. This is a story about my grandmother on my mother's side and, and about my mother as well. And it's you know speaking about maternal child relationships, not a great one. Um, so to tell the story, we really have to go back to my grandmother was born in Lithuania. In uh, it's, there's no clear date. I think 1932. Although according to my aunt and uncle, she later fudged her you know, the, the dates on her passport because she didn't, she wanted to be a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was born, I think, in 1932 in Lithuania. And she was, I'm not too clear on her childhood because she's also dead now as well. And she didn't, for understandable reasons, want to talk a lot about her childhood. But when the war started, she and her family ended up in, um, well, they, there was a process, they were, they were basically they lived in a they lived in a farm sort of in hiding for a while, uh, in impoverished because their you know their mother speaking about maternal strength as well and maternal fortitude their mother really did everything that she could to take care of them but they were often sick and often didn't have access to clean food or clean water. They were ultimately ended up again. This is where I might start to fudge some of the finer details when the Germans came into lithuania they rounded up a group of lithuanians including my mother my grandmother whose father had worked for the government so they were targeted i believe i think that he ended up being shot and killed no one really knows what happened to him but my grandmother and her brother and her mother were her brothers and her mother were forced into a Um, It was one of those marches where they were basically marching towards a concentration camp. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It wasn't a concentration camp in the sense of as how we understand Auschwitz or um, Belsen, but it was a a work camp. My grandmother and her mother ended up in a particular camp. So this is what I've got written down in the bit that I'm writing in my book. Following the German occupation of Lithuania, Anna and her remaining family, Anna was my grandmother, Anna and her remaining family were forced westwards on foot with countless others, and at some point she was separated from her brothers, and she and her mother ended up in a concentration camp in Pomerania. My uncle, who was married to uh, my mother's sister, so uncle by marriage, said this may well have been the Stutthof concentration camp to the west of Gdansk, where the Nazis sent Lithuanian leaders and intelligentsy. So she ended up there. She was 10 or 11 years old um, and suffered... All the atrocities you could imagine would be rained down on a young girl in a situation like that, uh, to the point where later on in life she she would quite openly talk about how she hated men because of all the things that they'd done to her, which I think you know this is what something that I think of a lot when i try to when when feminists are forced to to defend ourselves against accusations that we hate men that that's all the feminism is about. Firstly, stop making it about yourself bloke secondly there are a lot of reasons why women would hate men because women from the age of being young children quite frequently experience terrible atrocities at the hands of men the fact that women still talk to men is incredible Mm -hmm. Um, so she ended up in this camp she was given an opportunity to leave the camp if she would willingly go and work in a german factory which she did. So that's kind of a bit of problematic history because she ended up in as much as you can, as a, as a prisoner of war, ended up working in a camp, you know, in a factory. Um, it was one of the smoke stack factories. So the job was basically that they would, um, create smoke in the air so that German fighter pilots could fly undetected. Wow. Um, and she's ten at this stage, still. So she, was, she was. This all happened between the ages of ten and thirteen. She ended mm, up. God. She made it through that. She lost completely. Lost contact with her family. Never saw her family again. <sighs> ended up in a. When, when the Allies liberated, liberated. I mean, she also said that people talk about the Allies liberating, but she said they were all as bad as each other. So take of that yeah. what you will. Mm, when the mm. Allies liberated, uh, you know, people from. The German rule, she ended up in a displaced person's camp and she was 14 years old at that point. Mm. She had a medical check and she had gonorrhea. Mm. So God. that's how she, that's just, it was her life at the time, mm. just to sort mm. of like loosely paint a picture. Yes. From there, she chose, she was given an option to either go back to Lithuania, stay in Germany or move to England. And she didn't want to stay in Germany for obvious reasons. She'd didn't have anything to go back to in Lithuania and she was scared even as a child she was scared of what would happen if people knew that she'd worked for the Germans. Mm. Um, One of the details that I was told when I was growing up was that and that she must have told my mother who told me was that one of the great things that or one of the biggest things that uh, convinced her to leave uh, um, Pomerania and go and work in this factory was that they said, we'll give you a handbag, we'll give you a smart dress to wear and we'll give you a white handbag. And she was 12, 13, had completely, her childhood had been completely stolen from her and she thought, I would just like to have a handbag. I'd like to have a nice dress to wear. And I feel like that's just one of the most heartbreaking things about this story. That's the
0: word I thought straight away. That is heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. She
2: wanted to have a handbag. She didn't have anything else. Oh. She just wanted a handbag. Yeah. And she knew that everything bad was going to happen to her no matter where she oh. was. And this is really what forged her, I think, as a survivor who made horrendous choices later on with her own family, but who at this very young age, this is what trauma and damage does to people, is that at this very young age, she was taught, "I cannot. I have only myself, everyone around me is will take something from me in some way. So I may as well get what I can out of them while they're doing it, which I think anyone who's experienced that particular kind of trauma would, would be able to recognize the thinking there. So she ends up in this, in England, again, in a displaced persons um, setting camp, whether or not it was a camp or a refugee camp. She meets my grandfather there and my grandfather was from Guyana and he had been fighting for the RWF, I think, but he was, born in Guyana and was planning on going back there. And he said, I'll marry you. So they get married. She's 16 years old. Wow. Very young. Yeah. 16 years old. He moves back to Guyana and she meets him there a few months later. And then the following year, 1949, she has my mother. She's 17 at this point. She has my mother. Four years later or four or five years later, by the age of 22, 23, she's got four children. He's an alcoholic who is rarely around. Um, my grandmother doesn't know how to be a mother. She doesn't really even know how to be a, an adult at this point. Yeah. All she knows how to do is take care of herself, which when I was growing up again hearing these stories, I was so fiercely defensive of my mother because she really suffered at the mm. hands of her own mother. But now I, I have a lot more empathy for
0: what that must feel like the survival tactics that your grandmother had to use
2: yeah the survival of and also the at that point just had had any empathy beaten out of her I think she just Mm -hmm. didn't she all she thought was and she was in mourning still for her Mm -hmm. own mother and yeah. for her brothers, yeah, I yep. think I think yep. in lots of ways she probably yep. didn't want to become a mum. She didn't want to have four kids. She wanted to go. She wanted to have I a know. childhood. She wanted to have a, a an adolescence. Yeah, and instead yeah. she had these four children to take care of. An alcoholic husband who was never around. Um, certainly <sighs> yeah. living in a you yeah. know 1950s Guyana where there wasn't anyone there to force him to be around. And eventually she divorced him. And, or he, he disappeared. She, she told my, she told my mother that he died, which also caused my mum a lot of grief because she, for, for all of his faults, she really adored him in that mm. way that men who can just saunter in and out of someone's life can be yep. adored. Mm. Um, but I know that he didn't die because he, he sort of pops up in the story later on. My grandmother divorces him. She meets a a, a engineer who's in Guyana working from England. And he says to her, I want to marry you. You know, I want to marry you and take you back to England. She's got four kids, my mum and my aunt, who are the two mm-hmm. eldest. And then the two little boys, Michael and Lawrence. And he said to her, but you can't bring the boys. You have to leave them here. Oh God. And so that's what she did. Oh, she, left, she left these two boys behind um,
0: three and four oh, years old God. at the time, I think. Where were my they? mother was. Who, who did they get left behind too?
2: So they were left with my great grandmother, who was my grandfather's mother, and uh, he he kind of popped up at some point. They remembered there was a there was a recollection that my aunt my aunt Stephanie remembered after he had left after my grandmother was remarrying. He turned up at the house again and said to her, "Oh, are you Stephanie," and she recognized him and she said, "No," and he went on his way. Um, wow. Wow. The, the thing is that what I didn't realize until recently, so they, they left, my grandmother left the two boys behind in Guyana and my mum never saw them again. They were left with their great, her grandmother and she was told we're going to send for the boys later. We'll go and get them. And whether or not that happened or whether or not that was just a line that my grandmother told her what my mother always told me. And there's quite a bit of abuse in this story. So just, I should have put a content note up at the start, but my mother told me that when they arrived in England, she kept asking when are Michael and Lawrence coming? My mother was 10. When are Michael and Lawrence coming? Mm -hmm. And one day my grandmother turned around and belted her with a belt, you know, beat her and said, never ask me that again. And they never talked about them again. And I remember my mother saying that when she had children herself, that she thought, she was really scared that she would mimic what she had learned growing up. You know, she was beaten off and as children were back then. um, She was forced to leave school when she was 13. She had been accepted into, you know, an accelerated learning stream. She was really smart, Mm. totally Mm. self-educated, voracious reader could have done anything, but she was forced to leave school at 13 and become a domestic housemaid and childcare worker. Oh, I mean, they wouldn't have called it childcare worker then, but, you know, a, a nanny basically. Um, and because she was young, like even labor laws back then she was technically not supposed to be working until she was a little bit older. Her mother made her lie about it and my mother hated to lie. And she was found out one day by the family and she said that she could still feel, she could still remember the humiliation of being forced to leave and um, and so I think about all of these like interconnected stories of trauma that all of this being done to this one girl back in 1940, you know, this Lithuanian child, then having this splintering effect on all of these people's lives. My mother never saw her brothers again, but, you know, always felt a gaping hole for them. And also that she was the oldest and she loved
1: them and she wanted to protect them and oh, she couldn't that just do that. That me so sad. It's, it's horrendous. It's so sad. Those poor children as well. Like imagine those boys, you know, but and your was, mom and her, her sister control. like yeah. just pining, you know, after their siblings. It's just, yeah, yeah.
2: breaks the heart. So she, she told me that when she was an adult, she once said to her mother, she tried to talk to her mother about it, and again, you know, I see in my mother, she was, she had a lot of issues with, now she would be diagnosed, I think with complex PTSD, you know, the Yeah. The, yeah. being it's so traumatised as a, as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. But when she was alive, there was, she didn't have, she was just diagnosed with depression, you know, just, yeah. oh, she's just depressed. Um, it's And it really if, yeah, really, if diagnosed at all, yeah, like most of Diagnosed at really, all. Yeah. It really affected her, ability to mother herself you know i loved my mother fiercely and she was an amazing woman and complex um, and a great mother in so many ways i don't i mean i never had that mom that was waiting for me at home with the snack or you know Mm. popping band-aids on my knees or whatever i don't feel like i missed out in any way i feel like i had this again it's just a different experience isn't it i feel like i had a i had an education that was unique in its own way and and really valid, uh, like really valid and formative. Um, but I remember she said to me that one once when she was older, she said to her mother, she tried to talk to her about the boys, and her mother again just shut her down and said, "I've got nothing to apologise for." I feel like to have abandoned your children in that way, you must have had to either genuinely feel no remorse, or feel like have buried it so deep Mm. down that you couldn't address it. And now it's just occurred to me as well. My grandmother was married five times in her life. So it wasn't Mm. even like this man that she married who took her to England. She had a love match with and stayed with him forever. Mm. Mm. That ended pretty quickly. She relied on men to take care of her and to financially support her because she had no, you know, transferable. She was very skilled woman, but she Mm. had no employable skills to take care of her and these these two kids um and i wonder now thinking about it actually if the trauma of everything that men had subjected her to also made it very difficult for her to love those boys as beautiful mm. and innocent as yeah. they would have been to, yep. yeah. to be able to connect with to i mean to kind of to deliver into the world Something that you associate so strongly <clears throat> excuse me, mm, strong. something that you so strongly associate with violence mm-hmm. yeah would have yep. been and again you know she would have had no therapy either, also she wouldn 't uh, never have wanted to have four kids, no she would have yeah. had no contraception no that 's yep. right, her husband yep. was an alcoholic who pissed off on benders for weeks on end. And then Mm -hmm. every my aunt was telling me every time he came home, she got pregnant again.
0: It would would be
2: forced sex
0: every single time. And to have children as a child yourself who has had a childhood taken from them, to look at children and then think, you've you're going to have what I didn't have the resentment Mm. that maybe not even conscious resentment, but the deep seated resentment that you would have for the children that are having a better life than you've ever been given would Mm. be palpable. Mm. I wonder if that's why she felt so particularly
2: strongly about my mother, because my mother was the eldest Mm -hmm. and my mother felt always felt um, second to her sister and, you know, unloved in lots of ways. And yeah, that I'd never thought about it like that, Evie. But that, that would be a huge part of it, I think, that, you know, how much joy
1: would have been taken in making her leave school. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm just I'm just resonating with this story so much because my I'm adopted, so my Evie knows my past and my story. And it sounds like my mother had me when she was 16 and she had my sister no she had me when she was 17 and my sister when she was 15 in the 70s in Newcastle so my sister and I were adopted out both adopted out and we have three other siblings who grew up with my mum my birth mum who I've never met but my sister who was also adopted we've met and she's met our mum and just what you're saying these stories about her this woman I just I wanted to meet this woman in my life for so many years and I was so resentful at the fact that she gave me up, you know, I was like, and then to find out she'd had other children that she kept, you know, I was kept, like, yeah. Oh, well, oh, but you know, why didn't she keep us? Um, but the, the interesting thing is that I met I've met those siblings and they were so resentful about myself and my sister because, we didn't have to grow up in the in the lifestyle and the family that they grew up in because our mum was not in a good way. She's mm. still not in a good way mentally. So, um, you know, they had to endure this, mm. this you know, um, home life of growing up in that situation. Whereas my sister and I, I feel like I say a lot of the times I was given this second chance of, different life you know i was given a a different path so i mean in this we're only talking the 70s you know back in back in newcastle but she was sent to a women's refuge um and i've got all her documents of her court hearings and you know at this unruly you know they even say this unruly you know, girl is back in front of the courts again, you know, hasn't been able to, you know, keep her legs shut kind of thing. Um, mm. And just the shame and the, yeah. So it just, this is breaking my heart because I'm, I'm seeing it from all angles. I'm seeing, mm-hmm. you know, your mum's side, your grandmother's side, the siblings it just got it. So, com- you know, complex. complex. Mm. So many people's lives, you know, that are just affected by mm. By that, um, yeah.
0: Clementine, what was your grandmother's name, Anna? It
2: was Anna. So, the long she went by again, it's um, you know, this is what happens often to people to migrants who mm. are forced to, to kind of. This is why, Evie, I don't know if you read my stories on Alaria Baldwin, Hillary Baldwin. I oh, should god, say, yeah, obsessed oh, yes, I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> this is why I felt so particularly strongly about that story beyond it just being you know, another bloody privileged white woman who's appropriating something for her own enjoyment or whatever, is that, you know, the way that Hillary kind of indulged and lent into these as cute stories. Oh, I'm always getting mistaken for the nanny or, you know, people who have to, who actually experience the stripping of their culture in order to fit into these incredibly, um, you know, homogenous societies don't have the luxury of being able to joke about these things. Yeah. You know, my, my mother didn't yeah. want to, my mother didn't want to like cast off her identity. She just believed that she had to. Yeah. And, you know, to joke about becoming a domestic or being confused as being, for being a nanny when there are people out there who are being forced into domestic labour because that's just what happens to poor women. Mm-hmm. Um. So Anna's name was originally Una, but she went by Anna, you know, because it was easier. Anglicised it. Anglicised it. Um, And I've got the last name that I've got for her written down is, before she married, is Michelinck, Michelinck State, but when i pub- when i posted something about that on my instagram some people who are from you know lithuania and from that region said oh it's probably more likely this spelling um, right. so and i'm i'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it unfortunately again you know it's all right. of this lost yep. lost, yeah. lost history and what um, about your mum what was her name her name was luciana that's
0: a beautiful luciana. name yeah
2: luciana Gavaya. Gavaya. Ah. that was her last name it's
0: an amazing name i know it's beautiful I know.
2: I know. Luciana, Gav- Luciana. Rosetta. Yeah.
0: Wow. And I love the name Una. Mm. Wow.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's um, beautiful. So she, she never saw her brothers again and for my whole life, we knew this story of these missing boys and, uh, you know, I've looked on the internet so many times trying to find them, but there's, there's not, we couldn't find any record of them. um, and then my mum died in 2007, not ever discovering what had happened to them, which was such a tragedy because she wow. she just missed them her whole life. Oh.
0: But then we found them this year. Wow. We yeah. found the- found the- <laughs> I remember this um, happening and absolutely being riveted to this story. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, that's amazing.
2: It's, it is amazing. It's also sad. It's a sad story as well mm. because we... I posted something about it on my public Facebook page and someone messaged me and said, you know, there were some comments saying, you know, do you know anything about them? And I said, all I know are their names. I don't even know if they're still in Guyana. Um, I found a news article a year or so ago about uh, a man named Lawrence Gavaya. My uncle, one of my uncle's names was Lawrence and his age would have been the same. And it was just a, a piece in a newspaper about a man who'd been hit. And it's sad, unfortunately, but who'd been hit and killed by a bus
1: Mm.
2: uh, going through Georgetown. And Mm. I thought, wouldn't it be terrible if this was Lawrence? What a terrible way to go as well. And uh, I looked up all the names that were in the article, but they sort of yielded nothing. Finally, I mentioned something on my Facebook page about it. And I said, this is the last information that I, pute- I thought could have been it, but it doesn't seem to be the case. And within 30 minutes, of course, people on the internet are amazing. Within 30 minutes, someone had messaged me and said, I found all of these different profiles. It appears to be connected to your uncle Lawrence. They also have a connection to a Michael, Michael Gavire, who is my other wow. uncle. What had happened was in the newspaper article, they'd misspelled one of the, they'd misspelled oh. his daughter's name. So it was just a, I don't know how this person kind of figured that out, but um, wow. I got in touch with, with my cousin the next day, Ninta. And I said, I'm, um, I sent her a message and I said, this is going to sound really weird. And I'm really sorry to just lay this on you. And, and obviously just ignore me if this isn't you, but mm. do you have an uncle or do you, are your uncle's names, is your uncle's name, Michael? And is your, was your father's name Lawrence? And do you have missing aunts named Luciana and Stephanie Stefania and she replied immediately she said she said oh my god I do and she got all of her because they all live still near each other she got all of her sisters oh my god the chat oh my god we we moved it to whatsapp we've got (sighs) you know 10 or 15 people on the whatsapp group now and (laughs) mostly we're in in touch with the cousins extraordinary yeah so we've met all of these well I met all of these cousins that I didn't know existed. Yeah. Um, you know, their children seeing their children, one of, one of their children looks exactly like my brother. Um, wow. My sister, it's been really powerful for because my sister actually was also adopted by my dad. So my mum had her when she was 28, um, had had an affair with some guy, like when I say affair, I I mean like a fling, you know, a summer romance. Yeah. Um, got pregnant and told him that she was pregnant. And he said, well, you know, classic, how do you know it's mine? Also, I don't want anything to do with it. Nothing to do with me. So she'd already had a couple of abortions before that. And she said to me, I, and I've also had a couple as well. So she was always really supportive about that, but she said to me, I just didn't want to be, I didn't want to just keep doing that. You know, I just decided Mm -hmm. that this was the Mm -hmm. one, this was the time I was going to have the baby had my sister. And then my my dad, when my sister must've been about 18 months old or two years old or something, and they kind of, kind of very quickly fell in love and got married. And he said, you know, he had said from the start, I want to adopt Charlotte. And so he became Charlotte's adopted father. But my sister didn't discover any of that until she was 12. And she... It was sort of like done in a very bad way, actually. And I think that my parents meant the best, but um, we were living in the Middle East at the time and my sister being the eldest uh, was heading into high school and they'd been convinced by my, by my grandparents who lived in Toowoomba that couldn't possibly be getting a good education over in that international school. I mean, come <laughs> on. Come on. Only the best education. Um, Compared so- to Toowoomba. Are you kidding? <laughs> I know. <laughs> So for some reason it was decided that my my sister would be sent to boarding school in Toowoomba. My brother and I followed her a year later. So I went to boarding school. I was seven when I started and we only went for two years, thank God. But um, my sister was due to leave the next day and my parents sat her down. She didn't really know why she was being sent away to boarding school. She didn't want to go. Mm. My parents sat her down and thought, well, there's a lot of family in Toowoomba and we don't we can't control how vindictive some of them may be because my mother was not a, a particularly welcome addition mm-hmm. to the family mm-hmm. back then mm-hmm. or to the extended family, you know, it was very sort of um, the, suspicions about her background, let's mm-hmm. just say. Um, so they were they were concerned that there would be some vindictiveness and that, you know, having not told Charlotte that, she was adopted by my dad that someone else who she didn't know or trust would would just enjoy dropping that news to her I think so they decided well the best thing that we can do is sit her down the night before we send her away halfway across the world to boarding school well her while her brother and sister who are not adopted stay here with us we can sit her down and explain to her that dad's not your biological father (laughs) Uh, and now you can go. Off, go. You go. Yeah. off you go.
0: <laughs> See ya. Yeah. Oh so, wow. You know, bless oh, my my sister is just. Thing. Oh
2: my sister is just one of the most wonderful, wonderful humans that you could ever meet. She's just so generous and kind and lovely, and just giving. And I have to say, it would not be easy in lots of ways to be my sister, and she is she's so mm. gracious about it, um, and really supportive, like one of my biggest champions. And she grew up feeling you know that had that then had an effect on her, and this Absolutely. all of these splinters then yeah. like the cracks just keep yeah. kind of like moving down and through apples. the soil.
1: Has she met her dad?
2: no, she has no idea no, who he is. Has a, my mum yeah. my mum never wanted to talk about it understandably um, yeah yeah, doesn't really I think he played soccer, whether or not professionally or not, who knows but um yeah, yeah. what's been what was really interesting about? All of that was that Charlotte. Charlotte very much feels like my father's daughter mm. um and very much feels like a part of the family on my father's side, even though she's not a blood- re- technically speaking not a blood relative mm. but what does that mean i mean i, I never, yeah, exactly. I would never call her my half sister you know she's my mm-hmm. sister yeah mm-hmm. um but I think that i I can't appreciate this, but you know you as an adoptee can that she has always had this curiosity, I guess, or this sense mm-hmm. of what's missing um, or what's the other side, what's the other side of the story. Story, yeah. So it was really amazing and powerful actually to see when I contacted her that day and I said, I found the, I found the family and she got on the WhatsApp with them and we were all sharing photos and, and you know, my cousins, there's so many similarities between their features. For her to be wow. able to look at look at family finally mm. and see like full reflection Refle- yeah yeah was yep, I think really important. powerful for her
0: mm. yeah
1: yeah well when you Absolutely. met your sister Annie there was a definite um similarity oh, we were very, weird. S- very similar and I mean we just stared at each other for yeah. <laughs> we had a we had a date in we were both living in Sydney at the time at Bondi and went to a cafe and we we met at I think 11 a.m and we I left her house at 11pm. We just, we just talked and talked and looked at photo albums and, you know, discovered we had so many similarities with, you know, who we kind of were. And, um, you know, we both danced, we both had the very similar backgrounds, but it's interesting. Um, you know, looking at the, the, all the records that I had since gotten from what used to be called docs back, back in the day. Um, all of the paperwork that I have, the father's information is all blacked out. It's always crossed out. like, they don't exist. It's like, they don't, they don't even have to have any responsibility to, you know, that they were part of this event.
0: Yeah. There's (laughs) no accountability at all that can ever be in the future held to them.
1: So I know nothing about my father. I think a lot of, children who were adopted in you know throughout that time Mm. the the dads are just erased you know Mm. whether they want to be or not yeah yeah well that's the other side of it yeah whether they
0: want to be or not
2: yeah yeah well I mean it's a it's a fury and frustration that I have now that so much of uh, you know, so much of the men's rights narrative and not even, not even men's rights activists narrative, but also just generally speaking, this sort of myth, I think, and I'm going to call it that. I'm, I, not to be all, not all fathers, but yes, of course, I understand that there are some very committed dads out there, very supportive partners who actually do what needs to be done to fulfill the honor of that title of father and partner. To, who who should be called partner because that's truly what they exemplify as opposed to just getting that label despite doing nothing to really reflect what it means. But I think that we all know that there are also a lot of men out there who abrogate responsibility, who don't do enough, who aren't fulfilling that role of the supportive person and who certainly physically are not suffering in the way that, we, uh, you know, people who have children suffer.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And yet we're, we're sort of like forced as part of patriarchy and a lot of women play into this too, to maintain this myth that fathers have equal weight to mothers. I'm not saying that they can't have equal weight to mothers, but they certainly don't try. So Mm. again, it's another thing where women are expected to do 80% of the bulk labor of this and yet Mm. share equal credit for it.
1: You know, yeah. women could yeah, never totally. get
2: away with being as slack as so many fathers are and so many partners are and still get to turn around and call themselves good mums. It's yeah. like, um, uh, who's that? Uh, Ali Wong, Ali Wong, the comedian, you know, in one mm. of her specials mm. said that it takes so little to be thought of as a good dad. Good dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And for. yeah. And conversely, yeah. And conversely, it takes so little to be called a bad mum.
1: Yeah, yes, God. So true, absolutely. I mean, th- absolutely. those TikToks. Uh, you know, those TikToks infuriate me. If those women going, oh my, look what my husband did today, and look, oh, he's he he's picked up the towel off the off the bathroom floor, oh. and
2: it's I'd revolting. It's
1: just yeah. normal behaviour. Like. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah all
2: the ones that are like making a joke out of it a sweet sort of joke you know like isn't my husband so great he just knows that I love him to leave his shoes at the bottom of the stairs yes. Like, like yes like it's funny like it's funny yeah yeah I get that you're trying to make a joke out of this but this is the problem is that this, this is how it's perpetuated is that mm. we we make a joke out of it mm-hmm. oh my hapless husband you know yeah
1: yeah the, yeah
2: the, the eldest child it's
1: disgusting. Yeah. I've got two yeah. kids. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Or the babysitting yeah. them—that the men babysit. Yeah, that yeah. drives me insane. Mm. Uh, you hear it all the time.
2: And and beyond that, actually, even more in a more sinister way, this might resonate with some of your listeners. You know, so I I apologize if this brings up some, you know, dark feelings. But the the belief that a lot of women fall into that if they are given quote unquote time off from the children, if he lets her go out with her friends for a night or lets her mm. go and get a bloody manicure for an hour so she can get some time off, that somehow mm. this is an extreme act of generosity yeah. and an excellent partnerhood mm-hmm. that not only does she need to broadcast to all of Facebook, look, I'm oh, so lucky to have this man taking care of us, but also she's got to go home and give him a
0: fucking blowjob for it. Yeah. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. My God, the girlfriends that I have who are married, <laughs> we have these conversations for the past three decades.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Incredible. It's, how many there are.
2: Yeah. It's uh. it's, and it's really frightening actually, because a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff is masked through humor,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but we should call it for what it is, which mm-hmm. is sexual coercion.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
2: Coercive patterns of sexual exchange. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yep.
1: Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Using sex as currency, which is. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, that's such a fascinating story, yeah. Clementine. I don't, you, I don't know if you, I told it
2: in a very clear you, way. You, you I'm did. sorry. You did. No, you did.
1: You really you did. You did. It's beautiful so, did. I mean, I just, it just, when I think of women, especially about like the 30s, I mean, we're talking, you know, long time before, um, Mm. you know, when I think about my, my um, birth mother, but just how, how they just had to be shapeshifters, you know, just Mm. fit in with any situation they were thrown into and just shapeshift to fit into it. And, Mm. and, um, you know, I think it's, and then I think, you know, looking at you and what, and what you do and, and that you're so open about speaking out and being brave, you know, me thinking that what you're doing is brave. Um that you know, is is that kind of because of when you look back at your kind of the history of the mm. women in your family, you know, you're sort of like, well I don't wanna I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna I don't know if it's so so
2: much a conscious I'm not going to do that in that it is I Well firstly I'm a strong believer in um magic and I and in and in fortifying yourself um I think Mm -hmm. that I have the power of my female ancestors behind me you know the things that they've gone through um I feel that I don't this might be too woo for some people but I feel that strength I love it inside that stuff (laughs) Um, for us Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I also Mm. you know I think about all of the opportunities that they didn't have. You know, my my yeah. great-grandmother even in Guyana would have had fewer opportunities even. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother having her entire childhood destroyed, taken from her, uh, no opportunity to really discover who she was because yeah. who she became was someone... Like forged out of the trauma of war, yeah um, my my mother having her own opportunities for education taken from her, her own prospects and and because of that that experience of you know insecurity and suffering that she went through not ever really having the confidence to do it as an adult either. I mean, like I said, she was completely self-educated. She was one of the most voracious readers I knew. She would sit here on this podcast and tell you all about the women in history that she knew about. So smart. Um, You know, so much smarter than a lot of people who have the privilege of an expensive education and don't appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think what could she have done? I mean, obviously I wouldn't be here, but she might be out there doing incredible things herself so the fact that in such a short period of time within three generations we can have got from that point to me being in a position where i can have the voice that i have and where i can i can i just i think it would have been mind-boggling to them to think that that could have been possible possible yeah and when you think to the future of your descendants if i could think to you know three generations from now and think of a, a, a woman who it provided i my son might not have kids but provided there could be a line if i could think three generations into the future to a woman who was doing things i couldn't conceive of being possible in my life mm. that's incredible yeah, you know that it really is yeah that's an yeah. enormous gift to be
0: able to receive and mm-hmm. to pass on awesome pass on. yeah yeah i'd never thought of that that's
1: yeah, it so beautiful. beautiful. That's a really good wrap up. Yeah, I think that's a wow. beautiful and a beautiful thing to end on. I think um, uh,
2: on on that note, just it's important for us all, you know, and women especially, listening to this, to remember that we are making history every day, even if yeah. no one is there to record it. And yeah. and the history beautiful. of women is
0: what has shaped the world. Mm. Yeah couldn't agree more so well said clementine ford well you've just outdone yourself gone above and beyond oh, first guest gold yeah. star. oh my god i just kicked the microphone i apologize <laughs> oh that was it. so good thank you so much for being our first guest just yeah, thanks for a sharing <laughs> a personal <laughs> story
1: as well yeah. thank you so much Beautiful. for
2: asking me it's been an absolute pleasure annie it's so nice to meet you and, it's lovely you know, to meet you too finally Thanks for sharing your story as well.
1: Wow, good on you. You made it all the way through to the end. So these are just the credit-y bits, but don't stop because these are important. Please rate, review and subscribe as it helps other people just like you find out about this podcast. Executive producers of Chickstery are me, Annie Potatoes, and Evie Jones. Our producer slash editor slash water boy slash wine boy is Sam Peterson. Follow us on Instagram at chickstree underscore podcast and email us at mychickstree at gmail.com. Oh, and check out Sam's podcast, Confessions of the Idiots. It's great.